is Mind Your Own Business with Mike and Matt. Race Car Radio's podcast for business owners, entrepreneurs, and aspiring entrepreneurs. I'm David Hoffman, and your voices of reason are Mike Gansel and Matt Plosiak. On today's episode, how do I know I can afford to take on more staff? Featuring our special guest, Harrison Wise, the founder of Wise Public Relations, a boutique communications agency focused on solving real business challenges for global organizations at the intersection of technology, innovation, creativity, and commerce. So today we have Harrison Wise, the proprietor of Wise uh, Public Relations, and he has a question also about taking on new staff, but maybe from a different angle. Harrison, what, what, what's the issue you're having right now? Thanks for, for having me on today. Uh, so my question is, you know, how, how do I know when and if I can afford headcount new employees? That's a good question, Harrison. As you know, we've been working the last few weeks in uh, determining uh, that. And you've gotten some new clients, which is why you're anxious about hiring some people so you can actually deliver to the new clients exactly. and keep your current ones. Can we, let's just get, let's get a baseline here for the audience. How, how big is your operation right now? How many employees do you currently have? Uh, so six uh, employees, and we have about uh, 10 accounts that we service of varying sizes, but... And sorry, and how many do you think you might need to t- like? What what's the growth that's in- so that, inspiring? So that, that is part of the question. Uh, I definitely know that I need two people uh, at the account kind of management level. Yeah, that's that's kind of the immediate need. But you're thinking maybe so if you're hiring two, maybe hire three or um, yeah, something like that, right? Yeah. You know, depending on what their salary is, you know, there's always going to be that range. But uh, you know, salaries are are inching upwards, so you know, you get less for more, <laughs> which isn't the ratio. I. I I'm looking for, but it's the reality. Cool. Go, yeah, go ahead, Matt. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, I just want no, to get a little... no problem. And just if it's Jermaine, his, he has an office in San Francisco and we'll have one in LA shortly. That's correct. Interesting. So th- th- three offices, each with two people in them is uh, kind of so where you're at. San Francisco has three, New York two, uh, and one in LA. And, and what do those people do? The, the six that you have, are they all the sort of account people? What, uh, so I'm included in that number, but uh, so I obviously run the agency and, and uh, provide strategic counsel to our accounts and leadership and, and mentorship to the, to the team. One of the executives in San Francisco runs our West Coast operations, uh, but he also works on accounts um, across uh, our West Coast uh, client base. And he manages uh, two junior staff members. Um, and then LA is a content uh, marketing specialist and an event marketing specialist, but who also has a, a PR background. And uh, she's joining us uh, literally like as we speak. So Harrison came to us and said, I need to hire people, but I don't know if I can afford to. So uh, we sat down with Harrison and we did a cash flow projection for two months out, um, looking at uh, the clients he has, his current expense, and the added expenses he expects by adding two to three people. And uh, fortunately, we found that, yes, in fact, he can afford to hire certainly two and possibly three and still end up with a positive cash flow. That's assuming he doesn't lose any current clients. Um, so is it so, Matt? Is it as simple as that? Well, it is if you're generating enough revenue and uh, your expenses are low enough to uh, afford it. But is that okay? Now the biggest got- problem, though, Michael, as you know, we go to we go to a client and we say, "Oh, so how much you are you? What's re- you, what's your revenue going to be this month? Gee, I don't know. Well, how much are you going to collect this next week? 
uh, I'm not sure. But see, that that's the pain point is collecting, right? Ca- cash cash flow yes. is, is the part that that trips you know me up. Is you know I know the revenues there, and uh, you know so so I know like we have the business right, but it's it, it's all dependent on when are right. people paying their so, their retainer so that way I could pay my employees. Correct. That's, that's, so. There are three or four buckets, right, the money can come from. One, from revenue from your clients for the current month. Two, accounts receivable, money that clients owe you from prior work that was done. Three, uh, cash already in the bank. And four, uh, and mo- most businesses have some type of line of credit. And five, Harrison's your own, pocket. Your own pocket, yeah. We try to avoid... Yes, let's scratch that one, please. <laughs> we're, we're not talking about that. Fortunately, Harrison doesn't need to do that. Uh, although some of our clients find that time to time they have to do that. Um, Matt, let me ask you a money question. Sure. About sort of calculating that. Because I, you know, I think, what is the real cost of hiring an employee? I think a lot of people aren't hip to that in terms of, I mean, if you're paying somebody $40,000 well, a yeah, year, besides their how much salary, does that actually cost? How much money do I actually need to have to do that? You need between uh, 15 and 20% more on top of that. So you've got to multiply that 40000 by about 1.2. Really? Isn't to, it, uh, I'd say higher because and benefits it, well, it these days. somewhat depends what benefits you're giving them. So, I mean, if you're just talking strictly... Uh, Social Security, Medicare taxes that you must pay, uh, it's about a little less than 10%. You know, it's about 8 point something percent. So, um, but depends what kind of benefit. If you're giving health care, uh, if you have a 401k, et cetera, you know, easily uh, 20% is a good rule of thumb, could be as much as 25%. Yeah, I'm, I'm using 25% these days. I think 20 is a little low. And I mean, do, do you also need to figure in... That person's going to need a desk and a computer and a phone. Well, that's and a, yeah. yes, but that's a, those are one-time charges and not a monthly ongoing. Uh, but that certainly is a, an expense as well. So uh, I guess I was lucky in, in that regard. I, I had the foresight uh, when I, I started to lease the office that we're in now in New York. Uh, I built out space uh, for for growth. So we have uh, 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 room for five more five more headcounts. So there's five desks uh, in our office. So here's a question I have for you. Uh, it's almost a chicken and egg kind of thing. Why wouldn't you have hired people first, then find the business, rather than find the business and then hire the people? It's exactly what I wrote on my piece of paper, and I even wrote chicken and egg. Uh-huh. I just want to point that out. Okay. <laughs> That's a great question. I don't know if I have the answer to that. You know, in, 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 in theory, you don't know if a client that you're pitching is going to come on board. So to, to hire in anticipation of potential business is a very risky endeavor. But you've done that. I have done that, you know, just, you know, you kind of feel optimistic and, you know, you, you, things are kind of looking, looking, uh, you know, on the up and up and, you know, you, you do it. There's a weird dance there, isn't there, with clients that they want to see capability before they want to hire you. And so you have to show them we have the team ready that, to go your butt. Very valid. Then you're yes. paying people to sit around totally. until you do. How do you, how do you totally. swing that dance? Well, I, I can't say that I have swung that dance, you know, but I, that's a very valid point though. We, especially in our industry, clients do want to see and meet the team in advance. Um, you know, we have to use the team that we have. That's really, you know, that's, that's what they're getting essentially, uh, you know, at the, at the, at the, at the start. Um, and you know, they just, we just put our best foot forward. I have a question. Um, something, you know, being someone who owns, owns a creative company, and I think what you do is, is creative in a different way, but, it, but it, it, it's a question that's going, to, it's going to apply. Something that's always scared me about growth is maintaining quality. 
how do you make sure as you're growing, as you're bringing on new people, as you're not perhaps touching every client yourself, that the work that's being done is still something that you, you're proud of and, you know, is up to your standards? Well, I, I think we're, we're still of a size where I can have a pretty clear oversight of whether or not we're meeting client uh, expectations or not. Um, but certainly it's, it's something that, uh, you know, I think with these new hires, I'm hoping to address. I'm looking for people who, um, you know, put client service first, who understand project management, how to really make sure that we're delivering against the plan that we've set out to, to meet our clients' expectations. Um, so hiring for that. So, you know, really finding people who, who know how to um, uh, ensure that we're, we're, you know, kind of, uh, meet, you know, setting the bar and, and staying at that level. But actually, uh, this is a good point to talk to you, uh, for you, Harrison, about what is the business culture that you want? And you, we've talked about that a lot. So, you know, it's, I know you, you are driven now to grow the company, but I also know that uh, all your working, you are driven for certain goals and a certain culture. And so tell, tell us. Tell the world, tell the people who are listening to this podcast, what is the culture that you want in this growth? Uh, that's a good question. To be honest, the culture question still trips me up. I'm not sure we have a culture. I, I think the, the team that we assemble, the team that I have defines the culture as it is now, but you know, we're adding in new people um, that I think will shift and redefine what our culture is. Um, I certainly, you know, intend to kind of set the tone um, of the culture, but I, I also don't think we have a clear definition of what our culture is. We certainly have, you know, our vision and values, but in terms of culture, I think the, the team uh, really kind of instills that into the organization. Well, I don't know if I, I don't think I, I don't know if I agree with you. Okay. Uh, well, I, mind your own business. <laughs> I'm trying to. I don't want to just mind my own business. I want to mind your business. <laughs> That's my job is to mind your business. But look, if you have vision and you have values, you have a culture. You have a culture. And so the reality is, is directly, you're going to hire somebody who doesn't, doesn't promote your vision? You're going to hire somebody who doesn't promote your values? No way. So then, for all intent and purposes, you have a culture, and you set that. When you say you set the tone, you set, you're setting the culture. You have a culture. Your culture is uh, service-oriented, customer-focused, you know, work hard, play hard, uh, you know, all those things. I know those are general things, but in reality, um, the people you're hiring are some reflection of your personality. The original question here was, how can you... Uh, know uh, whether your finances can accommodate taking on new staff. So, Matt, give us a summary. How, what, sure. what are really the steps there? So, um, it's really knowing what your uh, revenue is, as well as cash flow coming in, and the cash you need to spend going out on a weekly basis. And then add those one, two, three salaries to uh, to your uh, cash flow uh, spreadsheet and see, are you going to have enough money to pay these new people? In essence, what Matt is describing is lit literally a KPI, a key performance indicator. And 
un unfortunately, we find too many small businesses that we work with or that we know out there, they just don't do that. But that's, that's your KPI. And that requires that weekly attention. Um, it just does. And I think you, you would be the first to say that this is the point. So if you're going to grow your company, you better have that KPI put together. For, for sure. And, I, 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 and Matt, maybe you correct me if I'm wrong, but also in corporate factoring in the pipeline, I think, is, yes. is, is probably not as relevant as obviously cash flow and revenue. It let you act tangible revenue and, and cash flow. But the probability, higher probability of, of prospects, I think, also would absolutely. at least afford you the, the confidence to hire um, you know, a, a, an extra person. For sure. That definitely gives you a little more visibility mm -hmm. further out, right. which is very helpful. Harrison, uh, while you mind your own business, I'd like you to let Matt and I help you mind your own business. <laughs> anytime, guys. Anytime. We'll be right back with more from Mike and Matt about how to grow your company wisely after these brief messages. If you're enjoying this show, you might also like some of the other podcasts on Race Car Radio. For instance, try London's New York. Your guide, Dan London, takes you on a deep and opinionated tour through some parts of New York City that are a little to the side of the usual tourist trail, and along the way teaches you something about the extraordinary, rich, and diverse history of one of the greatest cities in the world. I guarantee you that it's a view of New York City that you've never had before. Listen and subscribe now to London's New York at racecarradio.com. Racecar Radio is proud to support the work of IO Worldwide, a tenacious and dedicated organization working to address the root causes of poverty in West Africa. Because they believe that who a person is and where they come from should not solely determine what they are able to achieve. To learn about their work and how you can support it, please visit ayaworldwide.org. And now, back to Mind Your Own Business with Mike and Matt. So I think the larger question here is about growth and about the right way to, to grow. And I, I'm, I'd love to talk a little bit more about that dance we talked about, that chicken and the egg dance, about do you build, do you build capability to impress your future clients so that you can get more clients, or do you go out and try and build clients so you can afford to build capability? How do you... How do you how do you score? Because it, 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 you know, it's it's a catch twenty two because clients want to see capability, but you can't afford to build capability unless you have clients. Well, it's a it's a real uh, dance and balance, and sometimes you're forced. Like uh, early in our netline career, we we had a manufacturer that came in and said, "Where are your engineers?" And we said, "What do you mean?" They said, "You need engineers to be one of our partners." So we didn't have a choice. We had to go out and hire a couple of people, and then we had to make sure we had enough business for them. So, I, I, yeah, I remember that. So uh, I took a little note, and I'd say this. You have to have a certain amount of money to invest, and you have to be willing to roll the dice for a period of time. So if you, if you said, I need $100,000 I'm going to, and I have that $100,000, I'm going to take that $100,000 and I'm going to invest in more people. I don't have the business yet, but I'm going to use that 100000 to hire people and then they're going to go out and get me the business. And then you say to yourself, well, how long can I do that? 
do I can I do that three months, six months? What that is? So you have a pot, you have a pool of money and you use it, and so you do the capabilities first and then find the business. The other way is you do the business first and then you scramble to develop the capabilities. You're a good salesperson. You do great marketing, etc. You basically find the business because you didn't have that pool of money. So instead of money, you're putting in sweat. And you're basically going out there, finding the business, and then scrambling, or not necessarily scrambling, but then finding the capabilities. There is no, there is no um, single answer. The other thing really is sort of, I, I think it really does really come down to, do you have the money to invest and do that? So just, you know, Matt and I had an investor in our company. We took that investment, we put it into the company. And we spent a quarter of a million dollars on marketing, on building a training center. We put that money into the business. And in essence, we built our capabilities before we had that business. That worked. But there were times when we first started where we didn't have the capabilities, so we had the business. So maybe the answer is on some levels is it depends on what, uh, what point you are in the, your development of a company that you do that. Jobs, for instance, you know, when Jobs did the iPhone, he didn't basically, he didn't go out and do research for the iPhone. He basically said, the market needs this. He determined it, and he does the iPhone. So really, it's the, it, it's, so when you're thinking about your own business, what do you do? You think the business is out there, so I'll invest in people, and it's there, I'll just grab it? Or do you say, let me go out and check if the business is out there, let me get the business, and then I'll bring the people? Well, let me ask an and an what might be. Let me ask a very base level question, um, and I imagine this is the kind of thing you come out of business school knowing, um, or the school of hard knocks. Well, right, which I'm enrolled in at the moment. You know, people talk about getting seed money, getting investment to grow your company. How exactly does that work? Well, how, typically, how uh, it starts with family and friends. That's well, besides the owner's own money. So an owner has to be investing his own money. And usually the, after the owner's money, usually it's family and friends that believe in the owner, want to help the owner out, and maybe hopefully, uh, you know, they hope they're going to make some money yeah, by but investing. But on a more basic level and beyond that, like when, when, when you take in an investment, right? Yes. How does that contract look? How does that transaction work? Well, what is so, that person? How does that person get paid back? Well, ex uh, let's say apart from family and friends, mm. the only reason an investor is investing money in a business so he can get a return. So to go to the higher level, a VC is looking for 10 times his money or more because he has, to, has a lot of dogs he has to uh, account for along the way of the of the big home runs but generally an investor is you know wants to be able to make some multiple of sticking his money in the bank and or in the stock market uh, because that's much more liquid he's going to if you're investing in a private company you need the the investor was going to want to have some idea how am i going to get my money back are you going to pay me Interest? Am I going to give you? Is it a loan? Am I giving you money for stock? I mean, Michael and I have had experience. You know, owning a small piece of a private company is 
nearly worthless unless, unless there's some kind of exit strategy. Really, there are, there are four elements, just to be repetitive of what Matt said. You have to have a plan. And that plan basically has to say, you know, what is your strategy for growth? What percentage of the market in your sphere are you going to capture over what period of time? And how are you going to do it? And then the question is, you know, what is the return that you're going to give an investor? Now, an investor will give you two types, will give you money in two, actually there are two types, debt or equity. So debt is a loan. And so, and by the way, banks don't fall into this category because banks don't give you money to grow your company. That, so you'd be going to a private equity fund, private investors, a public, whatever it would be, which invest money. And they would basically look for, so then there are two ways, debt, which means it's a loan, you, you have to pay me back uh, X percent on my money every month, every quarter, etc. There you go. Or it's equity. I want X percent of your company. And at some point when there is an exit strategy where we sell the company, I will get X percent of the sale price. That's how it works. With the, fir- with the first one of those, what's a typical return someone's looking for on a debt investment? Are they looking for 15%, well, 20%? Well, it's really it's some risk versus reward. Mm. So if I, if I got, uh, let's say that you had an, uh, somebody was considering investing in your company and they were getting 6% for their money, nice, safe vehicles that they were getting 6%, and then you came to them and you had a plan and they realized that what your plan was risky, but certainly interesting, they might want 12 to 15%. They might want 20% on their money. So, you know, that's really, that would be, they want whatever they want. And you'd have to either say, yeah, they're a candidate to loan you money to, you know, invest or not. So it really comes down to what you'd negotiate. But it's got to be a multiple of what they would get in a safer investment. Otherwise, people don't do it. Sure, I know that makes perfect sense. And, and the key also that I believe uh, is that people who have intellectual property are more likely to get investors than people who, let's say, are just doing a service. Because... You know, service can go away. An intellectual property like soft, a software or some type of uh, some type of hardware or something that is actually tangible, uh, you know, has a has a different value than just a service. In my opinion, Mike, Matt, uh, thank you guys as always. Uh, and you know, until next time, why don't you mind your own business, Michael and Dave? I think you should mind your own business. Well, all right, coming from you, Matt. The best I can tell you is. Mind your own business. Thanks for listening to Mind Your Own Business with Mike and Matt. Tune into upcoming episodes for conversations about the power of abundant thinking and much more. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and many of your other favorite podcasting apps. You can find those links at www.racecarradio.com slash mindyourownbusiness. You can also follow us on social media at MYOB Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. Our guest today was Harrison Wise of Wise Public Relations, www.wisepublicrelations.com. The stars of the show are Mike Gansel and Matt Plosiak of Voice of Reason Consulting, www.voiceofreasonconsulting.com. I'm David Hoffman, and I produced and recorded the show. It was edited by Austin Cologne. Mind Your Own Business with Mike and Matt is a production of Race Car Radio, 
www.racecarradio.com. Race Car Radio is a division of Citizen Race Car. We tell stories.